Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 26. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who is paralysed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We've seen extraordinary things today. What is it about healing and the Christian church? In Australia, by far, the biggest non-government provider of hospitals is the Christian church. Now, people can hate on Christians all they want, but if the Christian church tomorrow closed all of the doors on all of its hospitals and all of its aged care facilities and all of its home care services and even all of its schools and universities, this country would be in a pretty big mess. And the reason for this is because years ago, committed Christians saw it as their mission. They saw it as their ministry. They saw it as their calling to demonstrate the love of Jesus for the sick and the disabled and the elderly and the injured. Sadly, things have changed somewhat today. Rarely, rarely is it through the generosity of actual living, breathing Christians to fund and work free of charge to provide health care. And most of the churches who now provide hospitals um, do so as, as fully dependent on government grants and government funding and full fee for service for their activities. Um, 
church hospitals and, and any expansion of them now are mainly the domain of older denominations who are living off of a legacy that was built up for, for a past passion for mission and a past generosity that their people had. Um, and in my experience in, in the denomination that I used to be part of, it used to frustrate me. We'd, I'd go away to synod meetings and we'd hear how wonderful we were providing all of these healthcare services, but it was all off of what was done in the past. And actually, if you looked at the way the funds worked in the church, we actually found ways of, of taxing the um, hospital service to keep the church afloat, that the funds were flowing from the hospitals to the church rather than from the church to the hospitals. And I found that quite frustrating. Now, having said this, Christians are still drawn to healing. And, and many disciples of Jesus find that the healthcare industry is the ideal profession where they can live out their calling to serve the world and love the world for whom Jesus loved. And we find that, that amongst Christians, there's a high number of doctors and nurses and aged carers and wardies and counsellors. And I'm not going to list all of the professions because we'll be here all day and I'll forget some and then somebody will be cranky at me. But, but many disciples of Jesus follow the example of Jesus by dedicating their lives to care for the sick. Now, having said all that, the type of healing that we just read about today, um, and the healing that Jesus did, was miraculous healing. Now, when it comes to miraculous healing, what is it about the Christian church? We are very, as the church, across all of the denominations and gatherings, we can be so divided in what we believe and what we practice. Why? At one end of the spectrum, some churches believe that miraculous healing and, and, and the gift of healing is a thing of the past. They believe that it fizzled out with the last of the apostles. And so as soon as the first drafts of all of the Gospels and the biblical letters were written, the spiritual gifts and instances of miraculous healings faded out. And so some Christians believe that the period for miraculous healing was for the first generation of Christians only. But then there's, on the other end of the spectrum, some Christians go on and on and on about healing as if that's the main thing and how everyone has to be healed of every ailment. And if you're not healed, well, that's a sign that you don't have any faith. And, and they front up for church every single Sunday, and it is expected that every Sunday we're going to witness another healing, and we're going to hear another testimony of somebody that was healed during the week. And it's as if some feel that they have to have a need to witness a miracle every week as evidence that the Holy Spirit's turned up today or as evidence that we have the anointing, as they like to say. And, and so they need to have this culture where we see these miracles happening every day, and so they claim all sorts of things as miracles. And so if a person's cold is less severe in three days' time, praise God, it's a miracle. What is it about healing and the Christian church that we have such opposed views? And even within this gathering, we might have quite opposed views in what we believe about healing. I want to begin today by saying, I absolutely believe the gift of healing did not pass away 
with the first generation of Christians. And clearly the scriptures do not say that they did. There will be a time when the spiritual gifts do pass away. And this is described as when that which is perfect has come. And no, they're not talking about the Bible. They're talking about the return of Jesus. And so when Jesus returns, we're not going to need the gift of prophecy anymore because we will all know. When Jesus returns, we're not going to need the gift of speaking in other languages anymore because we will all speak one language. When Jesus returns, we're not going to need the gift of preaching anymore because we'll all be saved. When Jesus returns, we're not going to need the gift of healing anymore because we're all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye to be like him. And there's not going to be any more sickness. There's not going to be any more disease. And we also know that God is going to continue doing his miracles because we're told to watch out for false miracle workers. And we're told that it's not easy to tell the real ones apart from the false ones. You see, if it was true that God did stop doing all of the miracles at some point, it would be very easy to tell a false miracle worker from a true one because they'd all be false. You with me? God continues to heal through his supernatural power, but not all healing that appears supernatural is either real or from God. Um, by the way, I am a living, breathing example of the healing power of God. Uh, I might have told some of you this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's a good one. Um, when, when I was in primary school, I think I was about grade three, uh, we were getting ready to go out somewhere. We lived on a farm 25 miles out of town and we're getting ready that evening to go out to something in town and I was walking down the hallway of our house and I bumped into the wall, which was strange, you don't do that. And I just corrected my course and walked down the hallway and bumped into the wall again. And Dad said, stop doing that, you'll hurt yourself. Now, I think he was probably actually more concerned about the wall, um, that I was gonna put a hole in it or a dent in it or something. But that is the last thing that I can remember until I woke up in hospital the next morning. And apparently from that point, it all happened quite quickly. Um, I then didn't know the names of common objects. I was looking for my shoes. I was going, where's my camels? And my brother thought that that was hilarious that I thought shoes were called camels. Um, and then in a short while, I didn't even know who my mum and dad were. They were strangers to me. And then, before long, I lost consciousness and I was lying on the floor, completely twisted up like a spastic. And they rushed me to hospital. Pretty sure Dad had the, had the 253 wound up pretty well in the HQ wagon that night as he travelled the 25 miles of country roads. Um, but there at the hospital, after the doctor examined me, he said, said to my parents, don't expect him to be alive in the morning. Sorry, I just get a bit teary. And the doctor actually slept in the bed beside me that night because if he was needed, home would be too far away. 
So you've got to remember, this, this was a country hospital in the mid-1970s. Uh, there was not a lot they could do for me. So my parents rang family in different towns and got them praying and got put on prayer chains. There was people all, all across Queensland praying for me that night. It was the early hours of the morning. Um, my mum was on the phone to my grandmother, who was in Brisbane, and this was the days of the manual exchange. And the, the doctor got them to cut in on the phone call. And he said, he's awake and he's crying. It's a miracle. It's a bloody miracle. Excuse the language, but that's what the doctor said. And um, so what did I have? Well, it was strange because they're pretty sure it was encephalitis. But it couldn't have been encephalitis because to go from the state that I was in to having an instant and complete recovery, it couldn't have been encephalitis. So they thought, well, it must be epilepsy. So they sent me off to Brisbane the next morning and um, they did all these tests, no sign of epilepsy, but they said, no, no, it's got to be epilepsy. And so over the next two years, I just had to keep going back for tests as they keep, kept on testing me for epilepsy and it wasn't epilepsy. Anyway, in, um, I shared this story with a doctor, a friend of mine, only a few years ago, and uh, he said, what you've just described is classic encephalitis. He said, and when you were laying down the floor, unconscious, all twisted up, the next stage is death. I know God healed me. He healed me that night. But I don't only believe that God heals because of that experience. And I've seen healings numerous times since. I believe God heals because God's word tells me that he heals. God's word tells me that he is an all-powerful God and that what he wills is done. But the thing is, while God heals, and praise God for the healing that he does, faithful disciples of Jesus do not chase after miracles as if they're the main thing. And it is never right to demand miracles or to claim miracles. And sometimes I hear people praying, and, and in their prayer, they put themselves in the position of God. And they say, I declare this is going to happen. I declare there's healing over this person. Or I claim, and some people say, I speak into being this thing. Here's a little heads up, folks. You're not God, and neither am I. We don't speak anything into being. Even Jesus, when he prayed, you remember when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if it is your will, and the faithful do not chase after these things as if they're the main thing. Jesus said numerous times, he would say, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Are we an evil and adulterous generation always seeking signs? What, why, would, why would I be looking for signs and wonders? That's not the source of our faith. The source of our faith is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one upon whom we base our faith. And we don't need to see miracles to shore up that faith. 
Our faith is in him and in him alone. So why did Jesus heal? And why does he continue to heal? Well, because God is merciful. But more than that, let's have a look at the readings. While Jesus was in one of the cities, and we're not told which one, um, he was still in, in the region of Galilee, uh, Jesus healed a man who was full of leprosy. What is leprosy? Well, back in the day, leprosy was the name given to any one of a number of skin conditions. Uh, they were often contagious, and some of them were downright nasty. Um, and the most feared form of leprosy is what is today known as Hansen's disease. It forms lesions and attacks the nerves. And there was no cure for these conditions. And so for the safety of the community, isolation was their only preventative measure. And so the lepers were excluded to the outside of town. Right? If you had leprosy, you couldn't mix with other people because you could pass your disease on, and that's nasty. And so they'd isolate them, so they would have to live in their own little camp outside of the town, and they couldn't work, and they couldn't earn a living, and so they were really dependent on people. They would be beggars on the side of the road, and, and people would leave them stuff there on the side of the road for them. Now, in recent times, with COVID and all of the lockdowns, we have had a minute taste of forced isolation. It was feared by many that, that this new disease was going to get out of control and that the hospital systems would be overwhelmed. And so they locked us down and they forced us into isolation. Now, I'm not going to ask the question whether they should have done it or not. What I'm going to ask, did anybody enjoy the lockdown? Alex enjoyed the lockdown. Good for business when you're running... <laughs> <laughs> when you run the local doctor's surgery. <laughs> Apart from Alex, did anyone enjoy the lockdown? <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I, I got so lonely. Um, I actually got up, Robin, once for buying too much stuff when we went to the shop. Robin, I, I'm, I'm purposely going to the shop every day to buy a banana just so that I can have a sandwich at have it on the sandwich, just so I can see someone. It's okay for you. You go and work at the hospital every day. Me, I'm very lonely. Um, I, I, I couldn't stand it. But it was awful. But what we experienced was so minor compared to the life of a leper. And some folk would say, oh, lockdowns, they never work and they shouldn't be done. You know what? In Leviticus, it actually commanded this. If you were a leper, and I think there are other things as well, there would be exclusion for these conditions. Anyway, Jesus must have been outside of the city because lepers weren't allowed in the city. And this leper falls on his face before Jesus and begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Now, let's be clear. When it says, if you will, it's not just talking about, mm, will you or won't you? Um, we're talking about the will of God. We're talking about the intent of God. 
We're talking about the determination of God. It is a decision that God made probably before the leper was born and maybe even before the beginning of creation. Right? This is something for God to decide. We actually don't get a say in the matter. It is God's decision. Let me help you to understand what a will is. I have a very important document in a, in a certain place. I keep it safe. It is the last will and testament of Michael John Brumpton. Very important, very important. I've got to make sure that all of my worldly goods go to the right people after I cark it, right? And, and Jake's there going, hmm. <laughs> now, my will, it doesn't just outline my wishes, right? It, it outlines my decided dividing up of my multitude of assets upon my death. It's not only my wish. It is what I have determined. And it will happen. It is my will. Does that help you understand what a will is? When we talk about the will, when we're talking about God's will, we're not just talking about an inclination. We're not just talking about a preference. The will of God is his determination of what he intends to be and therefore it will be. See, when I pray, not everything that I ask for in prayer is God's will. I know that's going to shock you all because you all think I'm so spiritual and so close to God. Surely the pastor knows what God's will is. Nope. And when you pray, not everything that you ask for in prayer is God's will. And that's why our prayers aren't always answered. You know, I've been to, to numerous things where, where we're being taught, you know, this is how you should pray. Yeah, you pray like this and that'll get you your prayers answered. I'm, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to help you to, to know what to pray so that your prayers will always be answered. Pray, thy will be done. Just as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you pray that prayer, I can guarantee you, your prayer is going to be answered every time. Every time. God will always do his will. But some folk aren't happy with that. And in essence, they, they elevate themselves to the place of God. And essentially, they claim an authority for themselves that only rightly belongs to God. And they may not use these exact words, but their, their prayer gives the, the impression that essentially what they're saying is, my will be done. And you've probably heard this type of prayer. We'll just wait for that siren to go. Well, that was quick. You've probably heard this prayer before. I declare such and such is going to happen. Or they might use the phrase, I speak into being this particular thing. That, that's not the way a disciple of Jesus prays. It is a common teaching which is around now known as the word faith movement. Has anyone ever heard of that? 
it, it, it's, the, it's not biblical and it's not godly. It's that teaching that says your words have power and we speak blessings and we speak curses and what you speak is going to happen. Have you heard anyone go on with that sort of teaching? A few nods and a few blank stares. It's not biblical. You see, God is sovereign. God is king. God is Lord. So it's not about our will. It's about God's will. Now, I've had it said to me, Michael, it, it, it's always God's will to heal. Rubbish. Where did we ever get that idea? This leper had things the right way around. He begged Jesus, and did you notice he didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. He just said, if it is your will, I know you can heal me. Now, did Jesus say to that leper, oh, don't be silly, it's always my will to heal. He didn't say that, did he? And he didn't say, oh, that's the words of unbelief. I negate those words of unfaithfulness. Did Jesus say that? No. Why do I hear Christians saying that? When, when, when somebody prays for healing, they say, oh, but not my will, but your will be done. And somebody chimes in, oh, that's, that's words of unfaithfulness. We can't say that, otherwise it won't happen. Where do we get that idea from? Not from God's word. And in the sovereignty of God, Jesus did his will. I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left him by the way did you notice Jesus touched him that was a no no you can't touch a leper that would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean he wouldn't have been allowed to, to go to the temple but instead by the power of God rather than filth rubbing off onto Jesus the leper was made clean by the hand of Jesus. All right, so Jesus tells this bloke, don't, don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, we don't know why he said, don't go and tell anyone. Maybe it was because he was just not wanting to draw too much attention to himself just at this point, you know, we don't know. But by the Old Testament law, for that man to be able to now re-enter society after being healed, he had to be declared healed by a priest. And this was an eight-day process or longer. And it involved several sacrifices. So Jesus told him for a, to go and do that for a proof to them. For a proof to who? For, for a proof for the disciples? For a proof to the people who had witnessed the healing? For a proof to the priests? Well, probably all of the above. It was about testimony. It was about evidence. The priest was the one whose job it was to make sure that the man was truly healed. The priest was the one whose job it was to test that it, he was indeed clean. 
and that he was indeed safe for him to go back home again to his family and to re-enter society. It was the priest's job to test that it was genuine and that, and that it wasn't just some kind of placebo effect where he felt better because Jesus said that he was or, or not some kind of charlatan's trick. By the way, you, you may be shocked to know that there are some well-known miracle workers who are nothing more than charlatans using all sorts of tricks to put on a show and their faith will lap it up. Anyway, the, the proof of the leper's healing is testimony of who Jesus is. It's proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Why do I say that? Because when we get to chapter 7, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus with a question. Are you the one who was to come, who is to come? In other words, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we keep on looking somewhere else? That was the question they came to Jesus with. And Jesus said, well, you go and tell John what you've seen. Tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. You tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. You'll have your answer. The fact that Jesus healed this leper is one of the evidences that he is indeed the Messiah. Anyway, word obviously got out and, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed. What did Jesus do? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I find this amazing. Like the, the crowds are, are coming and he goes out, out into the bush where nobody is and prays. Now, this isn't the picture that we get of modern church growth, is it? I mean, once you get a roll happening, you know, you want to keep the roll. And, and, and it's, not, it's not the image of having a, a slick public image marketing team or, or managing social media to promote the cause. And, and he didn't stoke the flames of the fire of this healing ministry and, and use the miracles as a draw card to try and get everybody to come and grow his numbers. He didn't do that. The Lord determined that he would heal the leper. Why? Not to boost his numbers, but as evidence that he is the Messiah. So what about the next healing? The healing of the paraplegic. Now, when I was a boy in Sunday school, this, this was one of my favourite stories. Um, some men bring their paralysed mate to, to see Jesus and they're carrying him in on a stretcher, but when they get there, it's all so crowded, so what do you do? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You, you go up on the roof and it's not like today where you can just take a tech screw gun up and screw off a few sheets of iron. Um, and um, in, in some of the Gospels, it sort of comes across as they've sort of got to dig their way through the, the clay and thatch. In, in Luke, I don't know if you noticed, it actually talked about shifting the tiles to let him down through the tiles. 
But I, I can just, I just used to, even as a kid, I used to imagine this, thinking all these people in this room, all crammed in, hearing the words of Jesus, and you hear bump, bump, bump on the roof, and, and then you hear rattle, 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 and then <laughs> and the dust and, and, and bits of mud start falling down on people's heads, and, and then they look, look up, and there's a hole there and four faces peering down, thinking, oh, look what we've done, aren't we smart? And then they lowered him down on his stretcher with, with ropes. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I wonder how he felt about that. I mean, he and his mates, I'm pretty sure that they would have been thinking, we're, going, we're coming to get the healing. And Jesus comes in with, your sins are forgiven you. I wonder how they felt about that. Gee, Thanks a lot. We're told that there was a whole bunch of religious leaders there. And they'd come to check Jesus out, and not in a positive way. We're told there was Pharisees, there were scribes, there were teachers of law. Right? So all different types of religious leaders. And they'd come from all over the place. They'd come from Galilee, the villages in Galilee, which is in the north. They'd come from all the villages in Judea, that's in the south. They'd come from Jerusalem, that's head office, the capital. Right, so they come from the north, they've come from the south, they've come from the capital, they're there in force. And when Jesus said to that man, your sins are forgiven, well, that was like a red flag to a bull. Like they, right, there's all the evidence we need that this bloke, he's speaking blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus knew what they're thinking. And he said to them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralysed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Immediately, he got up, picked up what he'd been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. See, how could Jesus prove to them that he did have the authority to forgive sins? Well, they'd made the statement, only God has the authority to forgive sins. So what did Jesus do? He did something that only God can do. When Jesus looked at that man, yes, he obviously knew that he was paralysed. But the thing which he saw most and the thing that that man needed most was not to walk again. His greatest need is the same as my greatest need, to be forgiven of my sins. It's the same as your greatest need, to be forgiven of your sins. And the reason Jesus healed him was to prove that he had that authority. How do we know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? Well, because of an even greater miracle, that he rose from the dead. And so by doing something that only God can do, Jesus proves that he has the authority to forgive sins. Because only God can do that. 
By the way, this, this is the first of 26 times in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus wants you to know that. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Are you burdened with all of the evil things that you have done? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive your sins. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be free and released from all of our guilt. Now, the, the Son of Man, um, where does that saying come from? Well, it, it was spoken by the Old Testament prophet Daniel. And there he's presented as this human figure who is given dominion by God. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, born as a human, and given dominion by God. Uh, by the way, how, how many of us watched the coronation last night? A fair few of us. It was unashamedly Christian. And I think I'll always remember that image of this orb, this round thing that, which represents the world with a cross on top of it. And the image of that was, was showing that Christ has complete dominion. Um, and this is who he is. He is the son of man. He is the son of God, born as a human, given dominion by God. Anyway, when, when Jesus healed that paraplegic, how did the crowd react? Well, they were seized with amazement. They glorified God. They're filled with awe. They said, we've seen some extraordinary stuff today. That's probably putting it mildly, isn't it? Only God has the authority to forgive sins. But in Jesus Christ, they had met someone who had demonstrated that authority by what he'd done. What does it tell us about Jesus? Jesus is God. God the Son. And He is God who forgives us of our sins. See, I introduced the message today about being about healing because that's where our, our human minds want to focus. But for Jesus, healing wasn't the main thing. What's the purpose of healing? If I was to ask that question, in this church or any other church, what's the purpose of healing? We get all sorts of answers. The fleshly man or the fleshly woman sees it like this. Well, the purpose of healing is to be healed. It's obvious, isn't it? Because to the fleshly man, there is no greater blessing than to have good health and a long life. If I'm thinking about the physical... If my mind is stuck in the physical and on this life, the fleshly side of things, that's all healing is about. No greater blessing 
and have good health and a long life. But there's a bit of a twist here. Often those who claim to be the most spiritual are actually doing nothing more than craving things of the flesh. Desiring something to enhance their physical life, whether it's about being healed, or whether it's about the excitement of getting to witness another miracle today. The purpose of these two healings is to glorify Jesus. The first one is testimony that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. We do not order him about. We seek his will and we pray for his will to be done. We don't pray my will be done. We pray your will be done. And the second healing is proof that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. It reveals what is our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. And it reveals that Jesus is the Son of God. Do I believe that Jesus continues to heal? Of course I do. And that's why I pray for the sick. And we do that every, every Sunday we meet here, don't we? And every time we meet at a Bible study group, we always ask, what are the prayer needs? And we pray for these things. But we also know that Jesus is Lord. And so we also pray, Lord, if it is your will, you can. Not my will, but your will be done. And a prayer of faith is accepting that God's will is perfect. A prayer of faith is praising him when his will is done, even if it's not my will. But let's never forget, the greatest miracle is a resurrection of our Lord. And the greatest healing is the healing that we most need. It's the forgiveness of sins and it's to be raised up to a new life with him. And my prayer is that we would be a generation of faith. That we would be a generation who in faith love it when God's will is done, even if it hurts. And that we wouldn't be what Jesus referred to as a wicked and adulterous generation, always seeking signs. Disciples of Jesus in faith do not need a sign. We delight in the Lord's will being done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for what your word reveals about your Son. We praise you that Jesus is King of kings, that he is Lord of lords. We praise you that he has the authority on earth to forgive sins. We praise you that his will is always best. Lord, give us hearts of compassion for the sick. Help us to pray at all times for those whom you love. Help us to pray at all times according to your will. 
and help us in our prayers to never elevate ourselves to the place of God, but to humbly petition you for your mercy and for your will. And give us joy in every circumstance, knowing that your will is done. In Jesus' name, amen.